Why Galatians 5? Why choose that particular passage? Well, toward the end of the chapter, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I could be like that, if that kind of fruit was growing and becoming more and more evident in my life, I think that would be a good start toward godliness, wouldn't it? Paul begins the chapter with a reminder and a warning. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Actually, I prefer the NIV translation here. I think it's a little bit more accurate. It doesn't say anything that's different, but it makes the point, I think, more clearly. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's plunge straight in then with the question, what does it mean to be free? I should say that I'd probably not answer all your questions about this not going to be time to do that, even if I could. We'll be coming back to this theme over the next couple of weeks, so be patient with me. If you go away with some big questions in your mind, it may be that we'll answer them in the next week or two. The first thing to say, though, is that the freedom you have, the freedom this text is concerned about, has been given to you by Jesus. That's clear from the text itself. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus said he would make us free, and he has. John 8, 38, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus has made you free, and you'll see as we go on that he secured that freedom for you on the cross. It is blood-bought freedom. But what kind of freedom has Jesus secured for you? Well, let me list some things about it. First of all, he has secured freedom from condemnation. Freedom from guilt and shame. He paid the penalty for all of your sins so that they could be forgiven, never to be called to mind ever again. God will never again point an accusing finger at you and say, you sinner, he will never say to you again, you deserve to be punished because as far as God is concerned, your sin is gone, never to be remembered again. And if God says that, no one else can condemn you either. And you ought not to be condemning yourself. Satan can't condemn you. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. No condemnation at all. That's just the start. And you're allowed to get excited by the way if you want to. Jesus also secured for you freedom from the power of sin. 
That means that when you're tempted, you don't have to do it. There is no compulsion. It used to be that you were under the power of sin. Sin ruled your life. Whether you knew it or not, when you weren't saved, you were under the power of sin, but not anymore. Romans 6, verse 6, Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 14, Sin shall not have dominion over you. Romans 6, verse 11 and 12, in the middle of those other two verses, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. When you're tempted and you feel as if you want to do that sinful thing, you say, no, I'm dead to that. I don't have to do it. I reckon myself dead. I'm not going to do that thing. You are no longer under its power. You are free from the power of sin. And thirdly, you're free from the grip of Satan. Here's how Paul put it at the beginning of this very letter in Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4. He said, Our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. A little bit confusing. Let me make it clearer for you as to what it means that he might deliver you from this present age of the wicked one, Satan, in other words. And what that verse is saying is that Satan no longer has any power or authority over you. You used to serve him. Again, maybe you didn't know it when you weren't saved. You served him. But now he cannot make you do anything and he cannot touch you without God's permission. He can tempt you. He can try to scare you. But you don't have to worry he can't harm a hair on your head unless a loving Heavenly Father allows it for some greater purpose. Free from the grip of Satan. We could add that he has secured your freedom from anxiety, worry and care. That's the next thing. Jesus, who has risen from the grave victorious as sovereign Lord of the universe has on the cross won for us every blessing in the heavenly places. And he withholds no good thing from us. So we have no reason whatever to be anxious or fretful. We have no reason to worry because our loving Heavenly Father is in perfect control and all the blessings of Christ are ours in him. Yes, bad things happen, but even when they do, we know that Jesus is working for our good. Free from care, free from worry, free from anxiety. That's a good freedom to have, isn't it? But there's another freedom. All the others can legitimately be included in what this verse talks about. But the freedom Paul is particularly concerned about here is a freedom from having to keep rules in order to be approved by God. Freedom from the law. The church in Galatia was a group of born-again Gentiles. 
And you'll remember way back when we looked at the book of Acts that when Christianity first began to spread to the Gentile regions, the question rose, well, what about the law? What are we going to do about that? The Jews have kept the law of God. They keep the law of God. Shouldn't the new converts have to do that too? Should they not, for one thing, be circumcised as all the Jewish men are? And that debate raged for a long time. Paul and others argued strongly before the other apostles, no. And you can read about the argument they presented in Acts chapter 15. They said, no, we're saved by God's grace on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice and nothing else. There is no amount of law keeping that can add to that. To try to add to it by keeping the law would be to devalue the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the apostles were convinced by that argument. But it seems that in the church in Galatia, there were some still who were saying, you have to keep the law as well as behaving in Jesus. And in particular, these are the things Paul mentions specifically, they were insisting, you've got to be circumcised, you men, and you have to keep the feast days and the food laws. And the first four chapters of Galatians, which we aren't going to take time to study in detail, the first four chapters are Paul's refutation of that teaching. He starts at the beginning by denouncing those who promoted that teaching in the strongest possible terms. Chapter 1, verse 6, he says to the church in Galatia, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ to a different gospel. Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. To say that you have to add to the sacrifice of Jesus by keeping laws and regulations and rules, that's another gospel, a curse on you. Strong talk. And he goes on in the verses that follow to show that we are saved by faith in Christ alone and that the old way of law-keeping in order to please God has to be cast out. In his argument, Paul has a lot to say about circumcision, and he has some things to say about other Jewish customs, feast days and food laws, because those were the issues that were being faced by the church in Galatia. But you've got to be clear, the problem was not circumcision as such. There's nothing wrong with circumcision in itself. There can't be. The people of God had been practicing it for, what, 2,000 years. It was God's idea in the first place, come to think of it. Circumcision in itself wasn't wrong. The problem wasn't circumcision. The problem was thinking that to be circumcised was necessary if they wanted God to approve of them. The problem was that they were thinking, you can't be a Christian, not a proper Christian, if you're not circumcised. The problem was thinking that law-keeping, any law or rule, could add to your salvation. Circumcision, feast days, 
the Ten Commandments, the New Testament Commandments, keeping any of them or all of them, will not add one bit to your salvation. And breaking all of them will not take away from it one bit either. It is not necessary to keep any law in order to win the approval of God because it's all by grace, you see. And to say any different takes away from the value of the cross and diminishes the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are free from the curse of the law. Can you imagine if you had been a pious Jew who sincerely desired to please God living in the days before Jesus and the curse of having to keep the law in every way not just to be circumcised not just to observe the the feasts and the special days but there were all those food laws you look at your breakfast and you think can I eat that is it okay to have this? All the purification laws, all the sacrifices that had to be made, how am I going to be able to afford another bull to offer on the altar? Where am I going to get the money for that? What a burden it must have been. What a relief. What a freedom. When God comes along and says, Christ has purchased your freedom. You're no longer under the law. It's all, all by grace. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, Paul said in chapter 3 and verse 13. Actually, the purpose of the law was never that it could save anybody. Paul says that here as well. The purpose of the law was basically to show us that we couldn't keep it, to teach us that we need a saviour. The purpose of the law was to teach us that we can never be good enough in ourselves to please God. That's what Paul meant when he wrote in chapter 3, verse 24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now you have found Jesus. You are free from having to keep the law of God. Any law at all. Now I know that raises questions. Some very big questions, difficult questions. I'm going to kick them into the future. And I say again, I said to you already, I'm not going to answer all the questions today. Be patient with me. We'll deal with that in the weeks to come, especially when we come to verses 13 and 14 of Galatians chapter 5. But just for now, just for this morning, I want you to concentrate on verse 1 with me. And don't let those questions take away from the amazing, mind-blowing truth that there is in this verse. Don't let those questions spoil the joy of what God is saying to you here. Christian, you're as free as a bird. You're free from condemnation. You're free from the power of sin. You're free from the power of the devil. And the world, you're free from anxiety and care. You're free from having to keep laws or rules or regulations. You're 
free. And what's more, your freedom matters a lot to Jesus. He called you and he saved you in order to make you free. Galatians 5 verse 13, we'll be coming to it again. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. He died to make you free. Wasn't that the very first point we made about this freedom? It has been given to you by Jesus and he died for it on the cross to secure that freedom for you. Your freedom matters a lot to Jesus. Don't think it a small thing. And Jesus set you free with the intention that you stay free. He will not, he will never take your freedom away again. Jesus didn't die to free you from guilt, to turn around and heap another load of guilt on you. He didn't free you from anxiety and care to turn around and pile on new anxieties. And he didn't free you from the burden of the curse of the law to burden you with a whole host of new rules. Jesus set you free so that you could enjoy your freedom. And you must hold on to it. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And to make sure the point is well made, here are some more good reasons to hold on to your freedom. Verses 2 to 4. I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Did you get that? Remember, it's not just about circumcision. It's about keeping laws in order to gain God's approval. And if you think your law-keeping will add to God's approval of you, then Christ will profit you nothing. Forget about him. Jesus wasted his time going to the cross. If you think your law-keeping will add to God's approval of you, then you better keep all the law, not just the ones you like. All of it. Man, there's a sharp knife in the kitchen if you want. No, But joking aside, can you keep all of it? Can you? No, you can't. If you think your law-keeping will add to God's approval of you, you reject Jesus and all that he has done for you. Your attempts at earning God's approval, rather than help you, they cut you off from the only one who can help you. Cut you off from his grace. You put yourself in the position of being estranged from Christ, as Paul puts it here. You have fallen from grace. That's what it means to fall from grace. Oh my, this is serious. To give up the freedom that Jesus has secured for you at such high cost dishonors him, cuts you off from his grace, 
It's to forget that you can't do anything to save yourself anyway. If you got the point, if you got it well, Christ has set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, you have to be clear about this because there are those about who would rob you of your freedom. In Galatia, it was, as Paul says in chapter 2, verse 4, false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. But they, at least the kind of them, they're still around today. Mostly, I think, to be fair, they're people who are themselves deceived or confused. And they don't come openly preaching salvation by works, mostly. They'll tell you that they preach salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. They tell you that very loudly. But they then proceed to heap on you a whole load of condemnation and shame. They would have you struggle and fight with sin. And if you should stumble in that fight, they would berate you and discipline you harshly. They'll tell you that you must be saved by faith, but they'll also tell you that you have to dress in a certain way and speak a certain way and observe certain practices. They preach the law, Old Testament law, New Testament law, whatever, I don't care. They preach the law in such a way as would make you the kind of Christian who is burdened with anxiety about your salvation. The kind of Christian who is driven and weighed down by a fear of getting it wrong. The kind of Christian who is looking over his or her shoulder, wondering what the others are thinking. The kind of Christian who feels guilty and ashamed inside rather than enjoy the glorious liberty which Christ paid so dearly for on the cross. Is that how it is for you? Do you feel those burdens? It shouldn't be that way. Jesus has made you free. It's for freedom that he made you free. Be careful. You must be so careful. Particularly when we preach the law of God. Take care how you handle the rules and regulations and standards of God's word. They're not there to deprive you of your freedom that was so dearly won on the cross. Christian Jesus has made you free. There is no condemnation. You're free from the power of sin and the grip of Satan, free from anxiety and care, free from the burden of law-keeping. Jesus made you free. He would never take that freedom away again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Why on earth does a series of sermons on godliness start here? Well, I think you'll see as we work through this amazing chapter of God's Word. But you know, often, maybe even usually, 
Often, usually, when we set out to think about godliness, we begin by thinking in terms of rules and discipline, don't we? Godly people don't, whatever it is. A godly person wouldn't, whatever. Godly people keep this rule and that rule and the other rule. Godly people impose strict discipline on themselves. Godly people wear hair shirts and beat themselves regularly. Well, that's ridiculous, maybe, but I know some people who, by the look on their faces, you'd think that hair shirts under their suits and they're not godly people. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Godliness is not the absence of something. It is not avoiding certain sins. It is not keeping certain rules. Godliness is the presence of something powerful in your life. It's a positive thing. It's not a negative thing. And you will never find godliness by keeping rules. We think that the people who keep the rules best are the most godly ones. Or the people who hold the purest doctrine. That, to be honest, has not been my experience. People who keep the rules, or at least appear to keep the rules, or protest so loudly that they keep the rules. The people who insist on the purest doctrine, sadly, often. It's not among them that you find the real gems of godliness that we talked about at the beginning. We have made godliness into hard work. Efforts after godliness have become a burden to us. And most of us find the burden too great and we give up. It's one reason why it's so slow to come. So that's why we're starting here. I want you to begin by thinking about your blood-bought freedom in Jesus. I want you to start by rejoicing in that freedom. I want you to glory in it. I want you to magnify the Lord with thanksgiving for it. And don't give it up for anything. It's far, far too precious for that. And if by any chance... Someone here is not saved. Let me say to you that if you think being a Christian is about keeping the rules, forgive us if we've taught you that. If you think that being a Christian is about keeping the rules, oh, it is not. Being a Christian is about being set free. Next week, we're going to continue thinking about what it means to be free, hopefully. We'll answer some of those difficult questions that you're no doubt thinking about. Let's pray. God, our Father, there are questions and puzzles in this for us, and there are truths here that we maybe struggle to grasp. We pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our minds as we think on about these things. Grant us a glimpse, some kind of vision some kind of understanding of just what a wonderful thing it is to be free in Jesus. This glorious freedom that he secured for us upon the cross. Oh Lord, cause us to glory in it. Cause us to magnify the Lord with thanksgiving.
Amen.